and that's it. You 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 understand it because you use the word natural. I say organic, because there you're right. There are no shortcuts, um, and, and all these people that you know, the blueprints and the shortcuts and the systems and the funnels and all these, they don't. To me, they don't exist. To me, the reason why I've been able to sustain what I do, and I think sustainability is key, is that you do need to build an audience of following. Uh, what a tribe, whatever you want to call it, organically. So, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy course, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Welcome to the Dreamer's Moment. We talk to people who are in the arena, chasing their dreams. Welcome to the show. I am Lou Mangello. You are my friend. If you are watching live, thank you so very much for Judy, Ethan, Dave, Marnie, Angie, Ray, David. Uh, Ralph said, bro, what did you shave this morning? About 15. Harry Simpson Doherty, always uh, nice to see you as well. Ricky, DJ, Technoid, uh, Jill, feel like I know you since I hugged you at S Epcot. Listen, Jill, we obviously knew each other sort of beforehand, but once he says aloha from Hawaii, what island are you watching? My friend from the UK, I cannot wait to see you here in Walt Disney My first guest is Lou Mangello. Lou is a Walt Disney World author, Disney expert, host, speaker, and entrepreneur. He is the host and producer of the WDW Radio Show, which has been named Best Travel Podcast by the Podcast Awards every year since 2006. You know, it's funny, Dean. I always seem to have difficulty is it, difficulties explaining what it is that I do. If I was sort of to define where my cubicle is, it encompasses 47 square miles of Disney World and Disneyland and, and Disney Cruise Line. Um, but really what I sort of do for a living is share my passion for the Disney parks and resorts and cruise lines through uh, a variety of different mediums. So I start off uh, back in 2003 by writing the book I wanted to read, which was a trivia book about Disney World. It turned into a website and articles and a podcast and videos and a blog and sort of grew from there. Um, and at one point, I sort of took that leap of faith and left my quote-unquote real job and sold my house in New Jersey and moved to Florida. So really, if I had to sort of encapsulate it, I, I basically talk about Disney for a living. I share my passion for Disney for a living. And, and also, on the other side of things, I also try and help 
other people do that same thing they, by turning what it is that they love into what they do with either uh, some mentoring or small group coaching um, and speaking, things like that. Well, I'm, I'm one of many, many thousands of people who, who watch you and appreciate what you do and have to admit, maybe a little envious, but um, there's a lot of us who um, are still in our day jobs and we are, we are interested in pursuing our own passion. So let's go back to um, many years ago. I don't know how many years ago, but you were practicing law. What, what made you want to get into law? You know, my dad was an attorney, but that really wasn't the only reason. Um, I had seen, you know, movies like Injustice for All and, and watched, you know, these lawyer shows on TV. And I was like, that's what I wanted to do. I was a, I actually started in college as a theater major. And I think I liked two aspects of it. I liked the idea of doing trial work and, and all that. But I also really, at the end of the day, wanted to help people. I think, you know, sort of that's in the core of my DNA is wanting to help people. So I joined my father's practice. We did plaintiff work and, and we did. We, you know, the, we endeavored to try and help people when they came to you with a problem. Um, unfortunately, I found that getting up and arguing every day was not in my DNA um, and it really we wasn't where my passion lied. So would you say that's kind of the, re one, the main reason that drove you to start to consider becoming an entrepreneur? You know, there was no choice to be an on look i think i've always been an entrepreneur I, I, you know hindsight being 2020 looking back my parents always had some sort of a side gig they had an antique store and they had a bagel store and they had a you know a booth at the flea market so i think i learned through osmosis by being part of the processes so i always had a little something extra on the side i had a little computer business i had a dj business i wrote a dj handbook i started you know a, a website really early on so i always sort of was maybe in an unknowing entrepreneur, but the Disney stuff really was never meant to be what it ended up becoming, right? So because I was always in the service business, while I was practicing law, I had a computer business on the side, which means I didn't sleep very much. Um, I had this idea of writing a book. You know, I wanted to make a product once and resell it, and all I really knew about was Disney, thinking that once it's on Amazon and once I see it at Barnes & Noble, that was the end of the game for me, never, ever expecting that it would start to snowball from there and and certainly be a life-changing decision. Okay, so uh, so basically at some point you started to make this transition from, okay, I'm going to write a book on the side and see how it goes to actually uprooting your family from the New York area, correct? Yeah, so, uh, okay, so I was a, a lawyer in New Jersey, like two things I ask you not to hold against me. Um, <laughs> But the the book, Dean, wasn't – there was nothing about the book that had anything to do with money or success or how well it would do. It was just a personal challenge. Like can I write a book – and again, considering it was 2003, can I get it published? Can somebody validate my work by saying, OK, we're going to put our name and money behind it and publish it for you? That was it. That was the only thing that I sought to accomplish, um, never expecting anything would really happen as a result of that. How did it go when you told your wife that you were interested in taking that leap and moving and pursuing this as a full-time passion? You know, I, don't tell her I said this, but I wouldn't be here without my wife and my kids and the support system around me because, you know, there was never any pushback. There was never any no. When I said, hey, I'm thinking about writing a book, and she was like, yeah, go ahead and do it. All you know about is Disney World. And I locked myself in the basement for a year and wrote. And I was always traveling back and forth to Disney to do research. She's like, don't worry. I, you know, I got this. I, I can, you know, I can hold down the fort while you do it. 
And when the time came that she saw that not only was it a passion, but that I was making a shift to say, hey, I think I can do something with this. Like, I don't know what it is. I don't have a business plan. I don't have the numbers worked out, but I know that I need to go and try and do this. And in order for it to potentially work, I need to be where my business is. And it wasn't in New Jersey. Flying back and forth from or from New Jersey to Florida was not conducive to it. Hmm. And when she said yes, I think she was still mid-sentence team when I started packing. I didn't, <laughs> want, her to, I didn't want her to change her mind. Yeah. Um, and look, the the as an entrepreneur, I can't stress the importance of having a good support system around you. And sometimes it's hard to get other people to buy into the dream, whether it's a wife or a parent or a child or or whatever it might be. Um, but at least having one person that believes and is there to not just keep you accountable, but to help motivate you and inspire you um, and, and support you during the difficult times, I think is really, really important. What do you do when somebody is explaining to you an idea and you're not you're not really sure if that's a good idea? How do you coach somebody to to say, well, that's that's definitely worth pursuing or how do you how do you get the confidence to go ahead on it? Well, if I think something isn't necessarily a good idea or they've been trying something for a while and it's not working, I try and identify a couple of things. Either what is it about that thing that you really enjoy? So, you know, me, okay, if you're interested in Disney but, you know, the the books aren't doing well, well, what do you really like doing? You like Do you like speaking? Do you like doing video? Maybe podcasting is an idea. I try and get to the core of what it is that they love doing and then look to find other ways to – cultivate that. Um, I, I, I'm a person, you know, by virtue of me enumerating some of the things I do, I, I don't necessarily always believe in putting all your eggs in one basket. You can take that thing that you love and try it a bunch of different ways. You know, me, I believe in creating content in the way that people are most comfortable consuming it. So I do audio and video and, and live and books and magazines. So um, it's the same thing at the core, but I try a lot of different things. And that's what I encourage people to do is get to the root of what it is that they love and what is it that they love doing, right? What, what could you imagine yourself doing or talking about or, uh, you know, every single day? If money was no object, you know, get to the root of what you love doing and then you figure out ways to grow that and to uh, eventually monetize it. That was one of the things I was going to um, ask you a follow-up question on because you've emphasized this a lot to me, which is people – sometimes try to take shortcuts and they try to build up their audiences in ways that, you know, they're not really real. You're not, you're not necessarily connecting with the people that you really should. What can you kind of maybe state it your own way? How do you, how do you start getting an audience or how do you, how do you start growing in in a more natural way? I should say. And that's it. You, you, you understand it because you use the word natural. I say organic because there you're right. There are no shortcuts. Um, and, and all these people that, you know, the blueprints and the shortcuts and the systems and the funnels and all these, they don't, to me, they don't exist. To me, the reason why I've been able to sustain what I do, and I think sustainability is key, is that you do need to build an audience, a following, uh, what a tribe, whatever you want to call it, organically. So I'll tell you, Dean, in the however many years I've been doing this, I've never taken out an ad to promote my site or show. Why? Because I'm going to show how old I am right now because <laughs> there was a, an old Revlon commercial like from the late 70s and, and she loved the shampoo and she told two friends and so on and so on. And you see this grid growing. 
Well, that's how I believe you need to grow, right? I think you need to become one, a magnet for the people that you want to attract. So authenticity is key. You can't try and be a character or be somebody else because people will come to you, Dean, because they like you. They like who you are. When they when they like you, they're not sorry. When they like you, they're going to want to share that thing that they enjoy with their friends. So it does become a very sort of organic type of growth. You know, let the people who you are friends with, and I call, I don't like the word fans, I, I say friends, let them become your most loyal evangelists and they will help do the marketing for you. Hmm. I remember that commercial as well, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, um, when you started, you got into podcasting when it was pretty much brand new. Um, uh, was your audience, did you have an instant explosion or did it take, <laughs> in, I assume that means no. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I almost fell off my chair when you said, <laughs> because there's so many things about that that um, that I laugh at. And I'm, not, I'm laughing with you, I'm not laughing at you. So no. again, when I started podcasting in 2005 and I had to ask Jeeves what a podcast was, <laughs> There was no podcasting in iTunes. Like you were hand coding your feed and then you had to download special software. It was, if you think it's confusing now, it was incredibly confusing back then. So there was a lot of hurdles just in terms of awareness in what this medium actually was, let alone how to consume it. I was surprised pleasantly because I did have a community existing already because of the stuff that I was doing with the book. I was able to lead them to this new offering, which some people really enjoyed because, hey, I'm in the car for a long period of time. So again, it's the way that they are comfortable consuming it. Um, I, I'm going to tell you honestly, you talk about the explosion and it means that there's you know a, a, an associated number with that. To this day, Dean, I don't pay attention to my numbers. Hmm. And the reason why is this. I, I know there's a lot of people that they check their downloads every day and they check how many hits and all – I don't care. What I mean by that is I'm less concerned about growing my audience than I am co creating content and, and nurturing the people that are already there. Mm -hmm. So if you're a listener, Dean, you're the person I care about. Because if you like my show and you know friends that like Disney, you'll go out and tell them for me. I don't need to do that. And I think so many people are so worried about the numbers and growing and this that they lose sight of caring for the people that are already there if that makes any sense. Makes a lot of sense. I remember once, it, I never told you this, but I was uh, watching one of your live pod, uh, broadcasts and right when you were talking about something and uh, my daughter walked in and I, I typed in something and you responded to it and you said Dean Rice and my daughter just turned around. <laughs> Lou Mangiello just said your name? <laughs> oh, it was a great moment. So to the, um, to the guy or gal who's who's been stuck in that day job in my case for decades and still has that dream. Um, explain how your life is um, different because you did take that step of faith to do what you want, you know, you, you loved. So I, I want to preface my answer by saying it, it is never too soon and it's never too late. Mm -hmm. I hear this all the time. Oh, I'm too old. It's too late. I'm already doing, there's, there's no, reason why you can't and there's no excuse why you can't um it, it you know to start something that you love on the side so for me personally um the change in not only my life but the life of my family and and the circle of people around me both you know close and extended 
is something I never could have fathomed, right? Not just because I'm not practicing law again or I'm living in a different state, but to be able to have the privilege and the blessing, whatever you want to call it, of getting up every morning excited for what you were about to do seven days a week, 365 days a year, you know, that's what we dream about as kids is, is having this kind of job that we love. And, and too often, Dean, we see people that are stuck in a rut. They're doing a job because they have to do it. And then they can't wait to get home at nights or weekends to do that thing that they love. Well, I don't think that's the way that we should live. I think we have the tools and the opportunity um, and, and life is too short not to start finding that thing that you love. And if you put in the hustle and you put in the time and you make the sacrifices, you know, it, it can be done. I, I am not the only one who's done it. And I think that's why I enjoy helping other people because I want to show them and I want to help them and sometimes be that person who can, like what you're doing, encourage people along the way too. Hmm. I'm not kidding when I say, I think I'm, no, I don't think, I'm more excited to go to Momentum 17 <laughs> than I am to go to Disney World because wow, <laughs> I'm going to be able to link with, you know, upwards of 50 people who think like I do and who are probably most of them are going to be in my situation where we want to get something going and, and find that momentum so that we can take that step. But um, just explain, uh, what is Momentum 17? So as somebody who has um, been attending conferences for a long time, I always, you know, you go to a conference and you take pages and pages and full of notes and you're trying to run from session to session and then you go home and you put the notebook down and you never look at it again. And all of a sudden, all the things that you were going to do, you're not doing because you got your real job and you've got your family and you got all these different things. And I wanted to do something different where you wouldn't get lost in a shuffle of 2000 people. I wanted something where it would be a very small, so there's only 50 people, um, very intimate kind of workshop. So you're not just listening to people speak, but you're actually going to be sitting around the table talking about your individual struggles, questions, problems, ideas, with like-minded individuals. So it's not just the other people in the room, but the presenters as well. Um, there's going to be me and there's going to be uh, six other presenters, including, so if you're a Disney fan, um, Duncan Wardle, you know, he's a guy who was the vice president of creativity and innovation for Disney. And he's going to bring something unique to the table in terms of helping you, you know, how you think and how you sort of get that creativity. And, and the other speakers are, they're not, huge name people. They're people who are like us, who've been in our shoes and are trying or have made that transition from that day job into doing what they love full time. So I like the idea of it being very small, very intimate, very workshop focused. So you're going to leave there um, with real changes to whatever it is that you're doing, wherever you are on the spectrum of if you're just getting started with an idea or you're trying to take things to another level. To learn more about Lou Mangiello, visit wdwradio.com. And to learn more about Lou's Momentum workshops, business coaching, and other services, visit loumangiello.com. Next time on The Dreamer's Moment. We can go and kind of cash flow this and allow it to grow and then just get that stable foundation so that if we do get to the point where it is large enough or it warrants one of us to make the jump full-time, we're at least jumping onto a stable ship. And we're also making sure that that boat is close enough to the dock before we make the jump.
The Dreamer's Moment is part of the Life Podcast Network, a group of family-friendly podcasts bringing a positive message of hope and inspiration. Find us at lifepodcast.net.